Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. So last week we left off and Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to God uh, for counsel. He's like, Lord, look, I want your will to be done and not my own will, God. What you want to be done, not what I want to be done. And Jesus was praying in the garden. That's when we last left off Jesus. And I, I kind of feel like it's a TV series. Like, last time on Mark, the Gospel, we left Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now, continuing on, like this week's episode, continuing on in the story, we're going to find Jesus. And there's going to be, a tri- there's going to be an arrest. There's going to be a, a, a trial. And there's going to be a conviction. So we're going to be talking about the, the trial of Jesus Christ the trial of Jesus Christ. I always love some good courtroom drama, you know? You watch on TV and you see lawyers yelling back and forth, I object. Well, I object to you objecting. Well, I object to your tie. Well, I object to you objecting my tie that you objected. Objection! And they just go back and forth and they begin to like yell and scream. And to be honest, if you go to a courtroom, it's usually not that exciting. Usually it's a lawyer standing there reading section B of the documents found in the Haverson case uh, find that the defendant is not guilty. It's usually not that entertaining, just so you know. But here we see a high-profile, energetic court case that takes place. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is on trial for his life this week. I mean, it doesn't get much more suspenseful than that. So, continuing, we're going to start our reading in verse 43. Uh, We're going to read a little bit, and uh, then we will pray. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve arrived. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him, and then lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. So our story starts off, and Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, and he's there to pray, and, and this mob shows up. And it's kind of one of those deals where they show up, and you know trouble's coming. You just know something's about to go down. Like maybe you're, you're just sitting there with your friends, like, you know, enjoying your lunch, and all of a sudden this group of like, Big dudes walk over and they got their chest out and they're walking over to your lunch table. And you know, oh, it's about to go down. Like, this is about to happen right here. There's about to be a smackdown going on right here. It's kind of like when you watch a football game and the two football teams come out and they're like growling at each other. And they're just really angry. Like, it's about to go down. Something's about to happen. So we see in this story, something's about to go down. And these officials show up and they have, they have these clubs and they have swords and this, this big mob of thugs. And they show up with all their power and might to come almost intimidate a little bit. And they show up and they say, with this power, we're going to arrest Jesus. We're going to arrest Jesus. And, and they were sent by the high priest and the rulers, uh, or the, the Jewish officials in the land of Israel. They were sent by them to arrest Jesus. And we know that they hated Jesus because Jesus challenged their way of life. He challenged their rules. He challenged their social boundaries. Jesus was saying, look... Forget following the laws. Just love God and obey Him. And they hated Him for it. Remember a couple weeks back, Jesus went into their temple and He flipped over their tables of money and He let their animals loose. And they got angry because of that. So they are now out to get Jesus. And they want to arrest Him. So these men show up and they have all this power and might. And they go, 
hey, we want to arrest this Jesus guy. And they're talking to Judas and like, but how do we arrest him? Which one is he? And Judas, who used to be one of Jesus' disciples, one of his friends, says, here, I'll go designate him. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to say, Rabbi, I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. And you know that is the one who is Jesus. And you'll arrest him. Just imagine that, though, your, your friend walking up to you. It'd be like your friend going up, hey, dude, what's up, man? How you doing? Cool. Get him. And then the cops come in and, like, put your friend on the ground and handcuff you. are like, what are you doing, man? And they handcuff you. You'd be like, I did not see that coming. But, but Jesus did see that coming. Here comes his friend, and he goes, Rabbi, teacher. And he comes in, and then he's arrested. And all these guards jump in, and they seize him. That word, they seize him. They grab him. They, they use their power, their swords, their might, their force to, to capture Jesus. But, but it's almost an absurd notion to say they really captured Jesus. You see, sometimes we, we play with our, you'll play with like little kids, and sometimes they'll mess with you, and you'll, you'll be nice to them. Like, I have some cousins, and They'll come and they'll try and capture me. And we have this game, which is kind of a weird game, but they capture me. They pretend to tie me up on my feet. And then they pretend like they're going to cook me and eat me. I have weird cousins. I'm just saying, okay? Little cousins. And they decide they're going to cook me and eat me. So they put me in the stew and they begin to cook me. And they capture me, though, and they pretend to tie my hands and feet. Well, let's be honest. They're about like this tall. I'm about this tall. If it really came down to it, I don't think they could capture me. I'd be like, hey, man, what's up? Stop trying to touch me. All right, fine. You want to keep going? Boom. Dropped you on the ground. Like, if it really came down to a fight, they could not capture me. I'm just being real here. I could probably fend them off. Well, here's Jesus, and these, these men show up, and they, they kind of flex in their muscles. They have these, these big swords, and they have their clubs, and they're here to take Jesus by force. Well, the almost irony of it all, the joke is, Jesus has all power and authority. And they really have none before him. You see, Jesus could have sneezed and they could have all disintegrated into dust. Like, Jesus, we're here to take you. Oh, really? And they all just like fall to the ground and disintegrate into dust. And the other guys are like, oh, okay, we don't have to take you. Just kidding, man. Like, back away. But Jesus had all power and all authority. But he allowed himself. He allowed himself to be taken prisoner. And we find out why as we continue in the story when Jesus answered. He said, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day that I was with you teaching in the temple courts, did you, not arrest, you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled, fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus is saying, did I do anything wrong? It's kind of odd, Jesus is saying, that, that during the daytime when I was in front of all those people, you wouldn't arrest me. And I, you said I was doing nothing wrong, but now that it's nighttime, you're coming in secret to arrest me. But Jesus says, the scriptures must be fulfilled. In other words, I know that I must be taken by you, that I must be taken prisoner, and, and I know that I must go to trial and, and one day die for the sins of the world because my Father wills it. So, so I'm going to allow you to, to capture me, to take me prisoner. I'm going to allow this willingly to happen. We need to understand Jesus did not go to the cross because he was made to go to the cross. No one was twisting his arm. No one was forcing him to die. Jesus chose to die. We really need to understand that because that's important. Continuing on though, so Jesus is is taken prisoner and he's let off in handcuffs. He's put in the back of the squad car and the police officers put the lights on and they go off. And I'm just kidding, they don't actually have cop cars back then. But they drag him in there and they tie him up and they, they throw him down 
before the high priest, and his name was Caiaphas. And as the high priest, he had the highest title in the land. No one had more authority, that was a Jew at least, in the land than Caiaphas did. They were the Roman officials above him, but, but Caiaphas was the highest, as the high priest, the highest of any of the officials. And they drag him before Caiaphas, and they throw him down before this ruling judge. And they say, now we're going to try you as a criminal. And if convicted, you will be put to death for what you have done. So there's this high priest named Caiaphas, and there's also this, this council called the Sanhedrin. And they were 23 uh, Jewish officials, teachers, rulers of the land. Uh, and they would judge him as kind of a jury as well as the high priest. So they throw Jesus down and, and they begin their court process, starting in verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest and, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with guards and warmed himself by the fire. Remember that for next week. We're going to talk about that. The, uh, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not have any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we'll build it again, not made by man. Yet even their testimony did not agree. So the court case begins, and Jesus is sitting there, bound, and he's there as a criminal. Caiaphas, the the high priest, is there with the Jewish officials, the Sanhedrin, and they're ruling over Jesus as his authority, as the the highest court in the land. And they said, all right, let's begin the trial. And they bring in witnesses, and the witnesses come forward. And they begin to to falsely accuse Jesus. It's kind of like when a younger sibling falsely accuses their older sibling to get them in trouble. Hey, he put gum in my hair. He's touching me. He's irritating me. He's singing a song. And your parents come back and they punish you. And like, I didn't do anything. Well, here Jesus is and, and he's sitting there and these people are giving false testimony, false witness against him. And they're lying about him to get him into trouble. Though he has broken no law and, and done nothing wrong. And they begin to accuse Jesus, but, but none of their stories match up. They don't all add up, and some people say, well, it was a Tuesday when Jesus said this, and the other guy says, well, it was a Wednesday, and they said Jesus was doing this, and they said Jesus was doing that, and they don't match up. And their testimonies don't seem to to come together, if you will. And the court case against Jesus is not going well. So the high priest decides to take things a step further. He increases the drama in the room, and and he rises from his seat. And that was a a huge deal, because the high priest usually remains seated for the entirety of of the court case. And he rises from his seat. And he goes down and decides to interrogate Jesus himself. Because he needs evidence. He needs Jesus to say something so he can convict him. And so the high priest descends to him and begins to speak to him. Let's read what he says here. In verse 60, Then the high priest stood before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? So the high priest questioned him. He says, Do you have anything to say? These people are accusing you. Do you have an answer? And Jesus was actually wise to not answer because 
Sometimes to defend against false accusations gives it credibility. So Jesus would not give it any credibility by speaking. But he says, are you going to answer anything? Are you going to answer these questions? And, and Jesus doesn't reply. And so Caiaphas, the high priest, cuts right to the issue. He says, all right, let, let's just forget everything, all the charades. Let me just point blank ask you this question. Are you the son of God? Are you God's son? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that the Bible has been talking about that will come to save Israel? Do you really claim to be from heaven? Are you serious? Jesus, do you? This, this guy that I'm looking at right now who's bound and on the ground and allowed himself to be taken prisoner, are you actually claiming that you are the son of God? And Jesus answers, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. It's kind of like a truth bomb right there. Jesus just says, yeah, I am that guy. And not only am I him, but, but one day I'm going to sit down in a chair. And that chair will be one of judgment. That will be right next to God himself in heaven. And I will rule in a courtroom bigger than your courtroom. The throne room of God. And my authority won't be given to me by people. My authority will be given to me by the creator of the universe. And, and I will judge. In other words, he's, he's saying, Caiaphas... You're judging me right now, but one day I'm going to actually judge you as God. Well, Caiaphas hears this, and he gets furious. I mean furious. And he takes his clothes, and it says he ripped his clothes. Listen to this. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy to death. The man ripped his clothes because he was so angry. And back then it was a, a customary thing they w- where they would show how angry they were. And he, he ripped his own clothes and said, do we need anything else to be said? This man's a liar. He said he's God. He said he's the Messiah. Are you kidding me? And the high priest, the highest official in the land, looked on Jesus and he said, you're not God. You're nothing more than a man. He deserves to die. And the judgment was set down. And the highest court had spoken. And Jesus was called a liar. And right there they condemned him to death. And they humiliated him right there. And says they began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists. And said prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So they looked at this man and they said, you're a liar, Jesus. You are no son of God. And they shamed him. They blindfolded him. And they hit him and they said, hey, prophesy. Hey, who hit you? And they spit in his face. And they led him away. So I ask you this. The court case was finished. The evidence had been brought forth. The witnesses had come. The highest position in the land. The high priest had spoken and said, Jesus is nothing more than a liar and he is not the son of God and he deserves to die. The highest court in the land, the majority of them actually unanimously had decided this Jesus deserves to die and he's a liar. Does that mean it's true? Does that mean it's true? See, often 
we watch a court case on TV and, and the verdict will come down and we'll be like, okay, he murdered him. I knew it all along. And we accept that verdict as truth. We almost just accept it because of the title or who's speaking. We give more weight to it. But let me ask you a question. If, let's say there's a breaking news story tomorrow. And so there's a breaking news story the Supreme Court has ruled in a hearing. They've brought forward evidence. They've had witnesses. They've had doctors and teachers and professors speak. And they have decided that gravity no longer exists. It's an official ruling by the Supreme Court. It cannot be questioned. Gravity no longer exists. What would you do? Would you run to your roof and be like, all right, I'm going to jump off. Woo! No, you wouldn't do that. Just because the Supreme Court ruled it doesn't make it true. Just because some guys who are called Supreme Court judges spoke it doesn't mean that it's actually true. But the same is true with this. Just because these men said Jesus isn't the Messiah, just because they said he wasn't the Son of God, does not necessarily make it true. Yes, they have earthly authority, but, but it isn't always right. Let me read you a story about a, a court case that took place recently. Uh, in 1984, Randolph Aldridge stood in Navarro County, Texas, courtroom and was convicted of murder. Two witnesses came forward claiming to have heard Randolph admit he stabbed a woman to death and attempted to hide the evidence. Randolph's shirt was found hidden in his own closet with bloodstains and a knife used in the crime discovered a block from his residence. 29 years later, one of the witnesses came forward and confessed to lying, reopening the case. DNA testing confirmed uh, that, that, I'm sorry, DNA testing confirmed that Aldridge was innocent of the crime and he was released from prison. This poor guy sat in a courtroom in 1984. This guy sat in a courtroom and had a judge of a court look at him after evidence had come forward. Had a judge look at him after witnesses had come forward. After lawyers had argued and and he looked at him with a jury there and said, you are guilty of murder. You're a murderer and you're going to be punished for it and go to jail. But 29 years later, Another judge looked at him and said, well, we've looked at the evidence, we've looked at the witnesses, and and you are now innocent of murder. And you have done nothing wrong, and you're free to go. Now, at any point, did anything change between those 29 years? Was he suddenly not a murderer because the judge said, you were not a murderer? I was wrong. My bad. Was he suddenly made not a murderer? Was he made or turned into a murderer because a judge said you're guilty? No. The truth was he was innocent regardless of what the the officials ruled. You see, a, a court's purpose is not to make truth, but to seek out truth. And we need to understand something. Judges and lawmakers, they don't determine truth. They don't make truth by their words. They try and seek it out and find it. But sometimes we give them too much credit. We give too much credibility to their words because they have a big title next to their name. If you're watching TV and you see someone who's and the bottom of their name, it'll say like, Professor John Q. Johnson. It'll say their name and then it'll say like what they do. It'll be like, Professor at Harvard University. You'll be like, whoa, okay, cool.
cool. And then what he says, you'll give a little more weight because he has a title next to his name. And you'll listen a little carefully to it. Or if you meet someone who's a senator or a congressman, if you meet the president, if you hear someone who has a term like doctor or pastor next to their name, you almost give a little more weight to what they say and you almost take what they say as truth because they have a position of authority. But just because they have a position of authority does not mean what they say to be true. It doesn't determine something to be truth. I mean, look at our own Supreme Court. If you go back a few hundred years into the Supreme Court and you ask them, is slavery okay? They would tell you, yes, it's all right. Yet now, if you were to go there, they'd go, of course not. How can you enslave someone else and take away their freedom? That's so wrong. But did anything change? Did slavery suddenly one day just magically become right or wrong? No, it's always been wrong. But the courts judged one way or another. Their opinions changed. Not the truth that slavery was wrong. See, science itself changes often. If you were to read your textbooks years ago, they wouldn't be able to tell you, or many years ago at least, if you were to go to school and they, and they ask you, is the earth round or flat? And you answered round, you'd be wrong to them. But now we know that it's, it's actually round. Now we know the truth. But did, was the earth flat when they taught it in their textbooks until later and then became round when they decided, oh, the world is round. You're right. Did it become round? No. But the truth was the same regardless of what people said. Regardless of what any judge or professor said. But the truth is also not determined by public opinion, by feelings, or by wants of people. Let's say we were to take a vote in the room. Okay, let's say we take a vote. And we're going to say, all right, guys, are my eyes brown or are they blue? Just so you know, they're a lovely shade of blue. It's like a calm ocean after a storm. They're lovely. That's what I've been told, though. I don't, I don't think that about myself. That's what people tell me. But let's say you guys took a vote, and let's say the majority of people voted that my eyes are brown. Would they turn brown? No, they wouldn't turn brown. They'd say this luscious blue. Just because you voted one way doesn't mean they're going to change. Now, let's say that I had in my heart, I really wanted them to be brown. And I just really wanted them to be brown. And like, I wanted it for Christmas, and it was like my Christmas wish, my Christmas magic. And I wake up Christmas morning, look in the mirror, my eyes are still going to be blue. They are. Just because I want it doesn't mean it's going to change. Just because I believe they're going to change doesn't mean they're going to. The truth is my eyes are blue. And no matter what anyone says or what anyone believes or any opinion anyone has doesn't change the fact of what they are. Yet Jesus stood before this court. And they spoke and they said, Jesus... You're a liar, and you're not the Son of God. But just because a judge pronounced that, just because a majority stepped forward and confirmed it to be true, did not make it true. In fact, they could not have been more wrong. Yet these men would dare to go as far as spitting in the face of truth itself. These men could not have been more wrong. Truth is not determined by public opinion. Let me read you a study by the USA Today that they took on students and cheating in classrooms. 
couple of you looked up. You're feeling convicted. I understand. Okay? I'm going to be watching you. We'll talk after the service. But they did a survey, and they said that, that 59% of classrooms asked confessed to cheating on an exam at some point in the past year. So, like, let's say, like, probably right about here, if I split the room, this much of the room. Guys, I'm sorry you're on the same side. I'm saying only guys cheat, but I'm saying about this much of the room would have confessed to cheating. Now, I'm sure none of you guys would cheat. That'd be terrible, right? But continuing on, it said 61% said they lied to their teacher. But almost more disturbing was, was this next statistic, that 49% said that cheating is not a big deal. They said cheating isn't a big deal. Let me read some of the, the surveys that they actually had. These are actual words from students they wrote on a survey about cheating. They said grades have become so important that sacrificing integrity is worth getting ahead. If the options are work hard and risk failing or cheat and stay afloat, why would I not choose to cheat? So my question to you is this. If, if the majority of people believe that the cheating is okay, that, that lying to your teacher is okay, does that make it okay? Does the truth that we find in the Bible and the truth that is really ingrained on everyone's hearts, that, that lying is wrong, that cheating is wrong, does that change just because people think it's okay? No. It doesn't. I'm being a little repetitive, but, but I'm hoping it's getting the point across. You see, we can't find truth in public opinion. We can't find it in officials. We can't find it in books. We can't find public opinion in the world. Or we can't find truth in the world. We find truth from one source. We find it from God. We find truth in, in the words of God through the Bible, and we find truth through Jesus himself. Let me read a couple verses to you. Psalm 119, verse 160 says this, The sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rulings endures forever. God, the words that you speak are truth themselves, and, and every one of your laws that you put forward, it's true forever. It doesn't change with years or with people's opinions. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that we should be careful when, when handling accurately the word of truth, being the Bible. We need to be careful with, with what we say about the Bible because it's truth itself. And we shouldn't manipulate it or, or change it because that truth remains the same always. It doesn't change one day or another. If you were to, to go to Genesis and, and read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then a few hundred years later, go back to Genesis and open it up and read it, it would, say the same, it would say the same thing. It wouldn't change. And the truth that Jesus, or that God created the heavens and the earth would not change a hundred years from now at all. It, it remains the same. It doesn't change. It remains constant all the time. So we can find truth in this Bible. And, and what is spoken in these words... And in these stories, we can put more trust in this as being true than we can ever put in any Supreme Court ruling, in any survey that is taken. We can know this is truth, and this is what is right and has always been right and will always be right. We can also find truth in Jesus himself. John 13, I'm sorry, John 14, 6 says this. 
Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is saying, you want to know what's true. You want to know what's right. Don't, don't, don't think you're going to find it on the streets. Don't think you're going to find it in this world. But you'll find it in me. I will tell you what is true. I will tell you what is right. Because I know all things. And my, my knowledge is, is absolute. God is saying, look, I am truth. If you want to know what is true, listen to my words. Listen to, to what I have to say. But I'm telling you guys, so much in this world, we, we, we put so much focus and so much attention on what other people think or on what the latest hot topic is or we put so much weight on what our teachers tell us or what the government is telling us and, and that shouldn't be our source of truth. Our source of truth should be God's word alone. Can you just, just imagine with me being able to speak truth if you spoke only truth, that means anything you say would become true. So you could say, I have brown eyes. And your eyes would just change, like right before you. Or you could say, I want blue eyes again. I kind of like the blue better. And then they'd change again. You could look at a mountain and say, ah, I want that mountain to go away. And it would just disappear. If everything you spoke became true, some of you would be like, I wish I could drive. And then boom, you'd be in a car, Ferrari driving. Like, because you spoke something into truth. Well, Jesus speaks truth. He spoke, let there be light, and light came when there was no light. He spoke, let man be created, and man was crafted out of the dust. Every word that God speaks becomes truth merely because he spoke it. He is a worthy judge and he is a a worthy person to listen to and a reliable source for truth itself because he is truth and he speaks truth. Might we look to him? Let's pray. Father God, you are truly our source of truth. God, the, the opinions of this world change it seems like every day. God, the The history in our textbooks, the the science in our books seems to change. God, you don't. And your word does not change. Might we put our faith and our trust in you, that you are truth, Lord. Might we look to you for what is righteous and what is right. Not anything of this world. We love you, God. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.